0: Thank you to Lulu and uh, to Amber and Jeremiah. Man, what an uh, awesome, uh, awesome job they did in Will's absence. We are excited that Will gets the opportunity. Emmaus is an organization that's very, very important to me in my life and something I got to participate in, and so we're glad that Will has the opportunity uh, to do that as well. And so, uh, man, thank you for being here the week uh, after Easter. I just want to say, we don't celebrate enough as a church, it's kind of how I am, you know, the church reflects its pastor, and I am one of those guys that does not, I don't encourage well, I don't need encouragement, but I don't encourage uh, very well, but I just want to celebrate, man, what God did in our Easter services. I know that we are more mobile than most churches, but we are not as mobile as we used to be, Uh, And that means a lot of work for a lot of uh, folks, a lot of men and women uh, that made Easter happen. Man, God moved in miraculous ways. Uh, We had 455 different folks. That's not counting our volunteers twice. Uh, 455 folks, and those are conservative uh, estimates. We may have probably had a little more than that. Uh, We had one that I know that received Christ Uh, and more that we are following up with that have made uh, other decisions. And so, man, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I know we're limited in our space, but man, I love to see our people working together. And it's a lot of fun uh, to do that. Uh, Then, so follow last weekend up with this weekend, which I found out midweek that we were going to be able to make our framing happened. Carpenters for Christ was coming. They had a breakfast on Saturday, and are like, Hey, let's just make a weekend of it, and let's start putting together this back building. So that was uh, super exciting. I, I, You knew as soon as I knew uh, that that was coming together. So um, I appreciate some of you probably had 10 or 12 men uh, that were able to, to move their schedules around. I understand that it was last minute. But I say that to say we are going to be working again this Saturday. So if some of you men didn't get an opportunity, you got a chance, right? So uh, we've, we've got to work on our second floor. We got our first floor completely framed out other than our stairs. Got it completely framed out, and we even got the eye joists up, which I will tell you my right side is, man, I'm sore for moving those eye joists. But uh, we got those up, and so... Uh, it'll just be a matter of setting it and beginning the flooring on that uh, on that second floor. So um, please, uh, if you have an opportunity, please make it a point to be there. We'll start around 8. And so it's a lot of fun. Whether you're setting up and tearing down a church uh, at the gym or you're working together, I mean, there's a lot of fun uh, doing that. We laughed a lot. Uh, We're laughing a lot today as we're like grabbing each other's sore shoulders. Uh, But, uh, man, I would encourage you to be a part of that because it is a lot of fun. And, man, we could not do it uh, without you. And so I just want to celebrate that and just let you all know how thankful I am uh, to be your pastor and to to know that you have such a servant's heart uh, to do just that. And so uh, we are continuing our... uh, Uh, Our services, life continues as normal uh, after Easter. Uh, What I thought of today is, you know, as I was studying and getting ready, He is still risen, right? Like, we celebrate that on Easter, and that's an intentional day that we have. But Jesus is still risen, so we have, op- we have the opportunity to worship a risen Savior. Just as much as we were able to do it in the gym last week, we were able to do it today as well as His church. And so uh, I started to think about high days for church. Not high in the sense that it's high attendance, but... Things, dates that get a lot of attention for us as a church, right? You got your Easters, you got your Christmases, you've got your VBSs, you got some of those things that information's coming out on. We have food trucks and fireworks, bless God. That's a lot of fun, right? Anytime you get a bunch of rednecks watching things blow up, like that's that's a good thing. Uh, like we have we have high days as a church, but I started thinking, like, what does it what does it mean to leave? Right, that is not led by these mountaintop experiences. They don't require a, a time to meet in order to be everything that God has called us to be. Our Christian walks individually, right, should not be marked by these high times of we we do things like Emmaus or we do things like uh, serving in, in, in the church or we do something like um, different conferences. I remember a youth group. Uh, in our youth ministry, man, we would have all these different conferences. And I just felt like kids a lot of times just followed the peaks and they would have these great mountaintop experiences and they'd get back to life as normal, right? And, and so what does it look like for us to continue the week after Easter? What does it look like for us to be a church, for our families, our homes to be this, but even our individual lives? What does it look like for us to be consistent God brought me to a case study, a man that we see in the Bible that is something said of this man that is not said of another character in Scripture, but he led me to David, and we find in Acts chapter 13 something profound is said about David. It says, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. A man after my heart. And so this series, from now to the end of May, we are going to look at the life of David, battles that David had in his life where God would would think enough of him to say that he was a man after God's heart. And so our sermon series will be entitled entitled, After His Heart. And so we're going to look at, as a case study, David, and, and what does it look like to be a man after God's heart? What does it look like to be a woman after God's heart? What does it look like to lead families that are after God's heart? What does it look like for us to be a local body of believers that are after God? This is God's design for his church, not to chase every mountaintop experience, but to live with continuity, in maturity, growing steadily in our relationships with Christ. And so we'll look at David, a man after God's heart. But look what it says in verse 22. It says, David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. The very key thing that we will learn is that to be a man or a woman after God's heart is as simple as ordinary, everyday obedience. Ordinary, everyday obedience is what God can use to be great in His kingdom. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to talk today about David's battle with waiting. His battle with waiting. One thing I will say about the millennial generation, whatever it is, however you define these generations and however you define the age group, I know that I am dead in the middle of the millennial generation, so I feel like I can speak definitively on the topic. One thing that I have seen about the millennial generation is we are super impatient. We want what we see other people have, like our parents, and we want it now. We, are, we feel almost entitled to it, that we should have everything that they have, regardless of the amount of time that it took them to, to gain what they have. Uh, what I've also found about our generation is because we are impatient, we become very, very picky. Very very picky, and if things aren't exactly the way that we want them to be, we are quick to take our ball and go home. Right? We are quick to cut and run when things aren't exactly like we think they should be. I, I led in a church. I was a pastoral intern for a first from a for a First Baptist Church down in Mobile, where I met uh, Becca and. Uh, I remember this little old lady coming in one time, and she was not happy with some of the decisions that Brother Roy had made. And she came in, and she informed Brother Roy that she was there when the last pastor came, and when the last pastor left, and she will be there when the next pastor comes and the next pastor leaves. Right? Like, she just went ahead and said, don't worry, you're not getting rid of me. Now, she proceeded to take some liberties and to say some things that were not godly, were were probably fleshly motivated, but for good or for bad. Do you know what I think about when I think about that lady? I think about a woman who is sold out to the church that she is called to be a part of. Now, we can argue all day long about, well, maybe she shouldn't have done it this way, or maybe she should follow the lead of the pastor. You know, we can make all those jokes behind closed doors, but I'm just here to tell you there is something about that generation that it is their church, and dadgummit, it doesn't matter what happens in it. They are there. They are going to run out the clock. They are going to get their hands dirty, and whether it's good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, they are there for the long haul feel like in a lot of ways man we can become so impatient i can become impatient listen if you are impatient with me that's fine because guess what i'm impatient with you if you're frustrated with me congratulations i'm frustrated with you too right like we all can get this way man what does it look like to be a man after god's heart in this area of waiting And we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's look at the new king anointed. The new king anointed, number one. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, Samuel chapter 16, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him with trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Father, illuminate your word to us. Show us, as the mirror that it is, show us areas of our life where we have strayed. Where we have trusted in our own strength and our own ability. God, call us to a deeper level of dependence on you as our Savior, our Sanctifier, and our Redeemer. Jesus, we love you. Give us a love for your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Samuel was the prophet in Israel. He was really a prophet and a judge. He was... In power, we know of the period of the judges, right? You got Samson, you got Gideon, you got Deborah and Barak. You've got these major figureheads that are almost like superheroes, right? That the period of the judges was a time really of, of spiritual unrest. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they would disobey God and God would raise up a deliverer, a judge. And that deliverer would lead the people of Israel To deliverance. And then the people would get comfortable again and they would fall again. And God would have to raise up another deliverer. Well, Samuel is a very interesting pivot point in Old Testament history. He was a judge, but he was also a prophet. And he was a prophet that his task was to give God's word to his people. God's people wanted a king. They wanted to be like other people kingdoms that they saw that they could look at, and they wanted to be like everyone else. At that time, Israel was led by God. They were a theocracy. They wanted a monarchy. And so God, even though God desired for them to not have a king, because they continued to insist, God told Samuel to appoint a king, to have the people to select a king from the people. God selected the people but it was selected who that would be he selected Saul but he only selected him because the people insisted that they have a king and Saul looked the part he was regal he was head and shoulders above everyone else he came from an affluent family from an affluent tribe he was everything you wanted in a king but the problem was Saul had no heart for God. In his position, in his affluence, in his influence, he became became arrogant and he disobeyed God. And so God, through Samuel, sends word in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that his anointing would be removed from Saul's life his anointing as king would be removed and Samuel reports this because Saul has disobeyed God particularly he made a sacrifice that was unlawful and so because of that Samuel is sent spiraling into a depression Samuel has had a huge part to play in the anointing of Saul and and, and has been the advisor to Saul and now Saul has turned his back on God, has disobeyed God, and there's judgment that's happening, and Samuel is defeated. And what God tells Samuel is, Samuel, how long are you going to pout? Right? Like my kids, specifically my daughter, who by the way pouts way longer than my boys ever did. Right, Like, just pout. How how long are you going to sit there and not talk to me? How long are you going to sit there and make that dumb face? Like, just get over it. This is the way it is, right? He says, how long are you going to grieve? I have chosen somebody from the house of Jesse, who is a Bethlehemite. One of his sons will be king. And it's funny. He says, okay, well, that's fine. You want me to anoint him as king? If Saul gets wind of this, he's going to kill me. Right? Why? Because he is the reigning king. He's going to kill me. And he said, well, bring a sacrifice and make a sacrifice in Bethlehem. Invite the elders uh, and make a sacrifice and invite Jesse and his sons. It's funny to me that when, they, when Samuel comes to Bethlehem, all the elders rush out to meet him. I'm like, hey, are you here peaceably? If you read First Samuel chapter 15... Samuel has just hacked the king of the Amalekites to pieces. He has literally hacked a man to pieces. And so the Bethlehemites are going, oh, shoot. Like, what's he here for, right? Are you coming at peace? And he tells them, look, I'm making a sacrifice. And I would love... you to participate with me. He consecrates the elders, he consecrates Jesse, and then we find ourselves in this moment, right? And so Samuel had been pouting about the removal of God's anointing from Saul, and this this was the king that God had chose, but the people had insisted that Saul be it. He looked the part. I mean, if you want the textbook stereotype of what a king is supposed to be... This is who Saul is. He's head and shoulders. He's a powerful warrior. The man had it going on. A man's man. But God had not selected him. What The lesson that we learn from Saul is it's not the qualifications of the man, but it's the God's anointing that makes the difference. God had removed his anointing from Saul. It didn't matter how many boxes Saul checked. The anointing of God was removed from Saul's life. We find that he's sent into a spiraling depression and that he he does not lead effectively from that point on. But Samuel goes to Bethlehem, right? He makes his sacrifices, and all of Jesse's sons are invited. Look at verse 6. When they came, he looked on the oldest. He looked on Eliab and thought surely this is the Lord's anointed before me, right? He's saying, surely this is the guy. What's he doing? Samuel is doing what they did when they selected Saul. Saul was the biggest, he was the strongest, he was the manliest man. So surely Eliab, a strapping young lad, surely this is the king. But listen to what God tells him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but the Lord looks, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do we remember what was said about David? He was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he would do all that the Lord willed him to do. It was his willingness to be obedient above everything else that made the difference in Saul's in, in, Paul, in uh, David's life, right? And so he says, "Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass." This was the second of his sons. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these guys. Seven of them. Jesse had eight sons, but seven of them had paraded before Samuel, and all of them were no No, no, absolutely not, no, right? Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. What had been removed from Saul had rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. We think about Jesse's overlooking of David. This was not malicious. I don't believe this is an intentional I don't think Jesse loved David less than his brothers. Jesse was doing what he knew to do. Listen, disclaimer, my wife is not of the same opinion as as I am. Okay? And she typically wins in this argument. But I think pets are crazy. Because... Pets are just something that you've got to figure out what to do with when you're not home. If you're not home, one hundred percent of the time, you got to figure out something to do with your dadgum animals, right? And so, if we want to go, if I want to whisk my wife away on a romantic getaway, my kids are easy. I, they just go to Paulette's house. It's where they're at right now. Right? Like, they're with Pawpaw. So I just send them to Pawpaw's house. But the dogs, now there's something different. Now, I've got two labs that I love. You know why? Because I can put a gigantic five-gallon bucket full of old Roy and about three gallons of water in a tin, and I can let them go for a month. But these inside dogs, they're different. They're more needy. We've got the smallest dog in the world, a miniature Dachshund. And we've got the largest dog in the world, a Bernese mountain dog. And these things are high stinking maintenance. So if we go out of town, guess what? We've got to figure out something to do with the animals. This is exactly what Jesse's dealing with. He's like, look, somebody's got to watch the animals. So who is the least like? Let's look at Saul. Who was the first king? Oh, it was Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. Well, let me look at my sons. Toot, 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 toot. David, you're watching the sheep. Somebody's got to watch them. David, it's you. You're the least likely to be chosen to be the king. All the other sons, let's go. we got to find something to do with the animals. And so David watches the sheep. David was the least of his house. The very least in his own home. Saul was the greatest in the entire country of Israel. And David was the least even in his own home. But if Saul teaches us that the qualifications of God do not matter but his anointing, then David teaches us that the disqualifications of man do not matter, but it is God's anointing that makes the difference. And so if you're in here today... And because you have some position or some powerful rank or some hierarchy that you think you are something, let me tell you, your position does not matter in eternity. Your position does not matter for the kingdom of God because hierarchy of man does not matter. Myself, as pastor over you is, is a man-made thing, right? Like, God has called me to this, but my qualifications don't matter. But if you're here today, maybe even more of you would think of all the reasons why God can't use you. What I would tell you is God is in the business of using pretty underqualified you don't believe me, I found this resource many, many years ago. I couldn't hardly find it in my computer. It was so long ago. I just want to read this to you. The next time you feel like God can't use you, just remember this. It wasn't just David. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Bless her heart, Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, David had an affair and was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, hello, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, and y'all, Lazarus was dead. God is in the business Of using underqualified people. So your qualifications don't matter to God. It is about his anointings. But your disqualifications do not matter. Because it is about the anointing of God. It is about God's presence on the heart of his people. That makes a difference in their life. David was the least likely candidate to lead in man's eyes. But he was number one. Not because anything on the outside. I'm mean, sure he was cute to look at. Like, he's photogenic. He had beautiful eyes, right? I love how they pick, it's almost like they trivialized David. Like, even in the way he's depicted, he's like, well, he's cute, I guess. But that's it. He's a pretty boy. Right? But God saw a man after his heart. And the difference between Saul and David is that God's anointing was on David and it was removed from Saul and it made all the difference. Look secondly at how the new king serves. There's some time passage between verse 13 and verse 14. Some time has passed because David is fetched from the field in order to serve. Listen to what it says in verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit A harmful spirit from the Lord had tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. It's a musical instrument. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who will play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Y'all know where we're going with this? who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. That is said last, but I believe it goes first. The Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent his messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. While there David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. God gave him favor in Saul's eyes. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David would took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. Because of Saul's sin, the only consequence was not that he would no longer have God's anointing as king, but there was a spirit sent to Saul from the Lord to torment him, to make him miserable, right? Saul had departed from God, and we don't see where there is any true repentance in Saul's life. And so Saul is living under a curse that God had placed upon him because of his disobedience. And so Saul tries to find a way out. He calls a little shepherd boy that knows how to play the guitar real well. And when Saul's upset, whether it's depression or anger or whatever it is, David starts strumming away on his harp. I say guitar because harp sounds a little more feminine. I like to think of him more as a guitar player. He starts playing his instrument, and Saul chills out. The anointing of David actually helps a man who no longer has the anointing of God. What a ministry in that regard. But I hope the irony is not lost on you. Because we would look at that by man's eyes and go, oh, well, David got a promotion, right? He's going, he's in the center circle with the king. This is how God gets him there, right? By the way, you would be wrong. Because when he goes from to Goliath. He's back in the field and his dad calls him back and says, hey, go give this food to your brother. So this was not God's linear path. David was a servant. You know what that means? Yes, he was trusted and relied upon by Saul but David was a servant. Now, don't let the irony be lost on you here. David was anointed by Samuel as future king of Israel. And he is serving in the opposite position. He is literally the lowly servant of the king. Can you imagine the mind games that that would play on you? I am serving, the, I'm supposed to be wearing this crown, big boy, And you have got me here to make you feel better when you're upset? When you're pitching a hissy fit? I'm supposed to play my guitar while you throw spears at me? Like, are you, this is what I'm reduced to. We don't see that in David's life. I'm going to tell you, you'd see it in my life. But we don't see it in David's life. David is called from the field to serve as Saul's musical therapist. Every time he's a little moody, David gets the call. And there's no option, well, maybe he'll come, maybe he won't. No, he comes every time. Why? Because he's his slave. He's his servant. David was brought into the inner court of Saul. However, he was still a servant. While this would have probably felt like a promotion for most, how awkward must it have felt for David, who had already been anointed king to be the servant of the king makes me think of this. Many of us in this room want to be a champion for God. I hope that's true. We want to be a champion. We want to see God use us. We want to see God use our families and we want to see God use our church to do big things. We want to be a champion for God. But God is not in the business of raising champions. God is not in the business of raising champions. God is in the business of developing servants. David's job was to serve the king, he was placed in a position. Of service we all want to do great things for God but God hasn't called us to do all these great things in high and lofty positions God has called us to serve him that's it his disciples it was one call follow me and I will make you all of these things be obedient be champions for god god's in the business of raising up servants as a church a lot of times we because we need spots filled because we need people to step into key roles we become obsessed with leadership we want to raise leaders leaders We want leaders to to, come for us. We want to be able to give them talent and ability. We want to be able to give them skills to make them higher functioning leaders in our church. But God's not in the business of raising leaders. God's in the business of developing servants. And as the servants prove their faithfulness, one day God raises them to leadership. That's what we see in David. David was a man after God's own heart long before he became king. He didn't magically become a man after God's own heart once he became king. David was faithful in the pasture. He was faithful serving the king. The position he was supposed to hold. He was faithful. We never see anywhere in Scripture where David bucks authority. Where David forced himself to be king. In fact, the opposite is true. Even when the 16 times that we have biblical record that Saul tries to take David's life, when given the opportunity in return, David refuses to kill Saul. Why? Why? Because it's not about where he's at. It's about who he is. He's a man after God's own heart, not because he's king. He's a man after God's own heart because he's willing to do anything that God asks of him. And that's a great word for the church. Are you a servant? You see, we raise up servants and we hope they lead one day. Or excuse me, we raise up leaders and we hope they serve one day. God's in the business of raising them. Servants, and then once they've proven faithful, he raises them to leader. So is that is that true of us? This new king is serving. Look thirdly and finally, how the new king waits. We know what happens, right? Apparently, he goes back to the field because Jesse sends his son after they've been fighting the Philistines for some time unbeknownst to Jesse, they are at a stalemate. By the way, unbeknownst to David, they're at a stalemate. If David was still in the inner circle, he would know Goliath is coming every single day for 40 days. David doesn't know that. So he goes to the war, he's like the first Uber Eats. Like he's bringing vittles to his brothers, like that's what he's doing, right? Like just call him up, bring him grub hub, let's take bring us food. Right so his dad sends his sends David to go with his to his brothers to give him food. And while he's there Goliath shows up for the 40th day. defying the armies of the Lord and asking for someone to fight him. And David's just naive enough to believe that it's not about his position or his stature or stature or his expertise with weaponry. But it is far greater that the Philistine is backed by no God. Whereas he has the living God of Israel on his side. And he responds in faith. But not everybody believes he's passed up. Even his own family, by the way, doesn't believe him. Even his own family makes fun of him. Like, what are you doing, you dummy? Like, I I knew you would do something like that. It it is like you to do this, David. But he gets his way all the way to the king. And listen to what the king says in verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war since his youth. What he's saying is you're young. Since he's been young, he's been fighting. You don't stand a chance. That's not David's response. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was a lion or a bear who took a lamb from the flock, I went after them. I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if that animal, that bear, that lion, arose against me, I caught him by his stinking beard and struck him and killed him. This was a bad dude. I don't know many, and I, you know, when I've read this, I don't know why in my head I hadn't figured like David, like sniping off some bear from long distance. But we're talking about hand-to-hand combat here. Like, I just hit him with the rock and it dropped the lamb and if the bear was like, dude, I'm gonna get the guy that's thrown this rock at me, then I just grab him by the beard and I just beat the snot out of him. What does he say there? Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the Lord. Striking down lions and bears, they just don't make them like they used to, right? This Philistine will be like these lions and these bears. Because these lions and these bears, they have the same spiritual backing that this Philistine has. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. What is David doing? He's looking back to his waiting. Hey David, I'm anointing you as king. Here's the oil, you're going to be king, God's anointing is on you. His spirit has rushed upon you. Hey, go get back to the sheep. The dogs still need to eat. Right? They need to, you need to let them out of the house. So go back and get the sheep. He goes back to the stinking field. Can you imagine the war that's going on in his mind? What do you mean? I'm the anointed king, and I'm going back to the field? How dare you, you vassal slave? But he goes back. What does God do in him? God begins to prepare him for one day when he would face Goliath of Gath. The lion and the bear will, enter the, will meet the same fate that Goliath met because God is working things in the waiting. He's working them. In the same way that God was with me with these animals, God is with me with this Philistine, and he is preparing me for this battle. He is getting me ready. The battle with the bear, the battle with the lion, was just as much for the Lord as as the battle with the Philistine. Why? Because it was God's anointed. And he saw a certain dignity in a lowly servant position that God used to elevate him. One day to the point of King. I wonder if he ever asked, how do I get from here to there? I mean, how do I get from this pasture? Samuel has come in and he has poured a bunch of oil. He he has poured a bunch of Wesson oil on me. And now I'm just greasy and still working with these stupid animals. I wonder if he ever thought, how do I get from here to there? How do I get from this pasture with these animals to the throne of Israel? But you know what the life of David proves? He really didn't have any role to play in getting from there to here. Why? Because God worked that out to such an extent he refused to kill the king He was supposed to be king, anointed as the next king, and he still refused to kill Saul. Somebody doesn't do that unless they recognize that the battle is not theirs, it's the Lord's. God will work it out in his time. What David was focused on was the will of God today so I don't know what your hang-up is. I don't know if your hang-up is your tomorrow. God, I'll follow you and do what you ask me to do as long as you can show me how I'm going to get from here to there. As long as I know my destination is something that I like and is cushy and is fun or is where I want to be, I'll follow you as long as I can see that. Or I don't know if your hang-up is on the other end of that. I don't know if your hang-up is God... I can't follow you because of all of this junk in my past. You can't use me because I have got so much sin, so much failure. I have so much of a reputation with the people around me. They'll never believe me. They'll never understand. They'll never get it. Just use somebody else. I don't know where your hang-up is. The story of David is God's called you to be faithful where you are at, and God will work out the rest. There's not some magical formula. People have asked me before, how, how did you get, get to be the pastor? Well, let's see. I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior at a very young age, four, almost five. I, I asked Jesus to be Lord and my Savior. I followed the Lord, and I listened to him, and I surrendered to the ministry, and I just tried to be faithful, and God uh, brought me to this amazing school where I met this amazing woman, and uh, God brought our lives together, and uh, I just knew that was what God had for me, and now I had to make a family and had to provide for this family, and so I looked for where God would have me to serve, and God opened doors, and I'm here, and I'm there. God did all that. Faithfulness today is what God asks of you. You want the recipe to be a man or a woman after God's heart? It's faithfulness today. Regardless of your past or regardless of your future. Faithfulness today. And trust God with the rest. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, if you're here today and... You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There's never been a time where you have received Christ. You have asked Him to be the Lord and the ruler of your life. Then my friend, faithfulness today is simple. Faithfulness today looks like giving your life to Jesus. As you feel His the pull of His Spirit for you to respond, it looks like obedience to that. Allow God to change your life. It's not going to come because you're really good at making changes in your own life, or you're really disciplined, or you have this, or you have that. Those things don't matter. It is God that makes you new, and so you can respond in obedience to Jesus today. Follow Him today as your Lord and Savior. It's the most important decision you can ever make. So if you're here and you need to make that decision, I would invite you to come. I, as the pastor, will be here when I say amen. I will be here. would love to receive you and talk to you about how you can know you have a relationship with Jesus. We've got decision counselors that would love to talk to you as well about any decision. Maybe you've seen Gavin's example. Maybe you need to get some things right. You know you're a child of God, but you've never taken that step of obedience. Faithfulness today looks like taking that step. It looks like talking with somebody about how you can Get that scheduled, get that ready, get that taken care of. Maybe faithfulness today looks like joining what God's doing here in an official capacity. We've got people who'd love to talk to you about that as well. Become a member of this church. Maybe faithfulness looks like you just spending some time laying some things down. This altar is open. And y'all, I know, you don't have to pray at this altar. It it doesn't. God can meet you in your seat just like He meets you at this altar, but there is something special about a visible move, about about coming and laying down something here. There's just something special about it. So maybe that's you. Maybe there's a friend or a coworker that you need to pray for that you know God's leading you, and God wants you to do big things. God, and but that's going to come by you being bold enough to share Jesus with that person. Maybe God needs to embolden you. Maybe you need to be emboldened by him. Maybe you need to find that here at this altar. Whatever it is, I pray that you would respond in this time of invitation. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Faithfulness today. Would you respond to him? Jesus, we love you. We are so thankful for how you use us despite our brokenness, despite, God, our shortcomings and our disqual God, you do it because you receive the glory for it. So God, I pray for these folks in here today, for everyone in the sound of my voice that are listening on live stream. God, I pray that we would be faithful to